When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Stroud sprints out, throws on the move, and another touchdown. This time it's Cameron Babb. Oh, that is a great story. Oh, Cameron Babb, fifth season with the program. Highly recruited player, but could not get on the field. Knee injury after knee injury. And now finally gets on the field. And that was his first career touchdown. Welcome into the program. Hey, it's the Joel Klatt Show. I am Joel Klatt, and here we go. We got to get ready for another Saturday of college football, and uh, I'm super excited about it because there's some good games, although there could be better games. Um, and the reason for that is that we don't have the expanded playoff. So why don't you go back and listen to Wednesday's podcast because I gave you exactly who would still be alive in college football if we had the 12-team expanded playoff. So go back and check that one out on Wednesday. Uh, by the way, Monday was a great podcast. We, we detailed a lot of what's going right and wrong for both Michigan and Ohio State in preparation for their game next week um, and, and talked a little bit about TCU. Today, I'm going to preview a lot of... Of the games this weekend, including breaking down the scenarios in the Big Ten West, I'll tell you exactly what each team needs to do to potentially win the Big Ten West, and then uh, what my favorite dessert is. Um, so a little personal information at the end of the show. Let's get into it, though, and uh, let's start with game previews. Let's start with the game that Gus and I will be at, and, and hint, it's not at noon Eastern this week. Number seven, USC at number 16, UCLA. So we're on the West Coast, baby. Here we go. Uh, so money, baby, and we don't even know it. So Gus and I, without the All-American girl, sadly, because Ginny's going to Qatar and getting all set up for the World Cup, which starts soon. I mean, I feel like the the one of the games is, is upcoming. Um, but anyways, we will have Allison Williams, true pro, awesome at her job. Uh, she's going to join Gus and I in the Rose Bowl at 5 Pacific time. I think I said Eastern. 5 Pacific time. 8 Eastern for the Trojans and the Bruins in the Crosstown LA rivalry. Can't wait for this game. Partly because I think it's going to be a great game. I think that we're going to have a ton of points scored. When you look at it, first, 
the first emotion that comes to mind when I'm thinking about this game and preparation for this game is like, I'm pretty bummed that that Travis Dye got injured for USC. I, I wish we would have seen the Trojans at full strength and the Bruins at full strength, and that's just really hard in particular this time of year. Um, and also, it's 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 a bummer because he was playing incredibly well, and while Caleb Williams is clearly the show and the star of the offense for Lincoln Riley, really the star, the, the straw that kind of stirs the drink is their run game. It has been all the way back since his days at Oklahoma. They always had quality run games, and, and that was what made them tick, and it's what made them uh, have the ability to put defenders in conflict. And, and they used this scheme, like the counter-GT scheme, and he was really good at it. And it's not an easy scheme to be good at, um, either from the offensive line perspective or the running back perspective. It takes patience uh, and takes great vision and then a real suddenness and a burst out of the back. So without Travis Dye, like, they're not as good which is a bummer, right? You want to see them at their full strength. Now, are they still going to be able to score points? Yes, absolutely. They're still going to be able to score points because they're getting healthier at wide receiver and they still have Caleb Williams. So here's Lincoln Riley bringing in the Trojans into the U.S. Uh, UCLA game in his first season. And I don't think that, listen, I know a lot of Trojan fans. Okay, I live here in Southern California. I live down in, in, in Orange County where there's a lot of USC fans. Work with a lot of USC fans. Reggie and Matt, obviously. And I don't think that even the most ardent Trojan supporters, the biggest fans that USC has, not even they could wrap their mind around in year one, Lincoln Riley was going to have this team playing games late into November as one of, let's call it, eight teams really alive for the college football playoff. I don't think that they even thought that was possible. And so here we are. And I think that that because we start immediately debating resumes and, and, and how we got here and, oh, would they win an argument against Tennessee or what happens if TCU loses – what we fail to realize, and by the way, you can also say this about Sonny Dykes at TCU, how about the job that Lincoln Riley has done at USC? It's been pretty remarkable that they're even in this position. Now, obviously, you give a lot of credit to some of the players that they brought in and the, and the staff at large, but th this is a guy that knows how to do it, man. He knows how to coach, and he's done a marvelous job. And before I get into the rest of their their game and matchup with UCLA, I just want to give out a huge shout-out. He's not the only one. So when you look around, and there's – listen, my alma mater is trying to hire a coach right now. And everyone hopes that, like, hey, you can turn it around quickly. Think of all the first-year coaches at these locations that have top 25 programs right now. And it's staggering, the amount of guys. Sonny Dykes, first year at TCU. He's in the top four. Brian Kelly, first year at LSU, in line to win the SEC West and has won the SEC West and will play Georgia in the SEC championship game. Lincoln Riley at USC. He's playing a November 19th game against UCLA in the Crosstown rivalry with playoff implications in the driver's seat to go to the Pac-12 championship game. Dan Lanning, first year at Oregon, first-time head coach 
Now, granted, they fell out of contention for the college football playoff, but in line to compete for and potentially win the Pac-12 conference. Marcus Freeman at Notre Dame. Some learning bumps, if you will, some developmental bumps, if you will, losing to Marshall, losing to Stanford, and what do you know? They look up at the end of the season. Here they are in the top 25 with a win over Clemson in a game that they absolutely handled. Kaylin DeBoer, head coach at Washington. What a win that was for Washington last week, snapping Oregon's 23-game winning streak. These guys have done a marvelous job, an excellent job. And it gives hope to those programs that are in the midst of a coaching change, trying to hire a new coach, that maybe if you make the right decision, you can go and, and turn it around maybe quicker than you thought you could. And, and in particular, in the quicker cycle of what college football is with the transfer portal and with NIL, boy, you can change your roster really quickly, which gives me a lot of hope, by the way, as a Buffs fan. Right, So let's hope that we make the right decision there. Now back to this game and, and Lincoln Riley, one of these guys that has done a marvelous job in their first year. All right, so now as, as we just kind of like quickly outline what is this game, what is, what is important in this game? Well, you have to understand, number one, USC is a really good team, and the only team to beat them was Utah on probably the most emotional night that Utah is going to have in a long time, right, honoring their fallen teammates from a year ago. Um their new helmets and, the, and and everything. And it was an emotional night. That was an incredible crowd. And what did it take? It took a really good defending Pac-12 champion team to be at home in that environment and to go for it, go for two late in the game. Similar to my argument about Alabama last week. It's like, hey, listen, look what it took to beat Alabama. Well, the same can be said for USC. Look what it took to beat USC. Two-point conversion from Cameron Rising. They ultimately lose that game uh, by a point. This D, yes, is not great, but the offense is not going anywhere, right? And and that's exactly where I think that this is headed. It's headed into a point struggle. It's headed into the stratosphere. It's not going to surprise me at all if this is like 52-49 or, or, or higher scoring than that because UCLA, they're really good on offense. And I know they're coming off of a loss, and yes, that's a bummer, but this is a really good run game. Zach Charbonnet is a heck of a back. You know, Yankoff, who comes in and, and backs him up, he's kind of a 220 big back. This is a big physical run game for UCLA. DTR has played his best season of college football. This is a team that is the number one rushing team in the country as far as yards per carry, and they're about to face a USC defense that's 97th in the country in rush yards per carry defense. Okay, so this is a bad matchup for USC. Here's the problem. It's also a bad matchup for UCLA. They really struggle with mobile quarterbacks like they faced last week in Delara from Arizona. Uh, Nix from Oregon was able to create and get outside of the pocket. What do you think Caleb Williams is going to do? So guess what? Points, 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 points in this game. Not going to give you a pick, but I'm just going to tell you this one could be exciting. And by the way, Gus Johnson, everybody. You betcha. Sign me up. I'm going to have the best seat in the house over at the Rose Bowl. Uh, that's that game. All right, let's move on. Let's get to some Big Ten matchups. What's next? Illinois at number three, Michigan. So Michigan is just bludgeoning people to death with their run game. And now they're going to face what I think is one of their stiffest tests because Illinois is pretty good defending the run with a defense that is still statistically one of the better defenses in the country. This game is interesting because you, you're pitting two of the guys from a running back perspective that get more carries than almost anybody else in the country, right? I mean, Chase Brown, 280 attempts, that leads the country. Now, he was banged up last week, 
Uh, Brett Bielma did say that he's trending in the right direction to potentially and hopefully get on the field. But these teams are number one and number three in total rush yards. Excuse me, these players, number one and number three in total rush yards, Blake Corum and Chase Brown. And it should be a great matchup. Uh, Michigan has the advantage, obviously, because they have the number one rushing defense in the country. And they're better as a whole than than Illinois, in particular with Illinois kind of sliding a little bit. I think Tommy DeVito is going to have to play uh, his best game. He's not playing poorly, by the way, the quarterback for Illinois. 70%, 15 touchdowns, and three interceptions. But this game is not about Tommy DeVito, and it's not about Illinois. It's about Michigan. It's about Michigan's maturity. How badly do you want to play in a game where both teams are undefeated and it's, it's, it's a game that will literally be legendary in a legendary rivalry? How badly do you want to play in an undefeated matchup against Ohio State? The only way you can do that is if you take care of business at home against Illinois. Michigan's favored by 18 in this game, and they've got an opportunity in this game. Not to send a message, but to develop. And, and here's what I mean by that. I know, you know, we know, everybody knows that Michigan can run the football. They're one of the best rushing teams in the country. I think they're off, well. Their offensive line is is up for the Joe Moore Award again. They won it last year. They're even better this year. They should win it again. They are the best offensive line in the country as 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 it relates to uh, a run game because everyone knows they're going to run the ball. They know they're going to run it. You know they're going to run it, and they know you know they're going to they're going to run it, and they don't care, and they're still able to do it successfully. But this game's not even about the run game. So, Joel, stop with like, it's not about this, it's not about... What is it about? What is this game about? This game is about J.J. McCarthy. J.J. McCarthy started the year playing really efficient football. He was leading the country in completion percentage for a long time. And he wasn't turning the ball over, and they were taking shots down the field, and he was just missing these shots down the field. And then all of a sudden, they got Blake Corum in the Heisman race, and then they've just leaned totally on that. And what have we not seen yet is the development of the passing game. Well, now, J.J. McCarthy is going to have the opportunity to go against a defense that is really good defending the pass. In fact, Illinois gives up about 48% completion percentage. That's number one in the country as far as the defense goes. And J.J. McCarthy, in his last two games, has completed under 50% of his passes. They're about to play the biggest game of, in any of their lives next week against Ohio State. J.J. McCarthy has the, the opportunity to develop against a defense that will give him really tight windows. Why does Illinois give up only 48% completion percentage? They play tight man coverage. Tight man coverage equals tight windows to throw in. So as a quarterback, you've got to be on time. You've got to make quick decisions, be ready to throw with your feet, and you've got to throw the ball accurately. It's tough to do. It's really tough to do. So McCarthy's going to have that opportunity. Imagine if he plays really well against Illinois, the confidence that he will get built for next week's game against Ohio State on the road. That's what this game is all about for me developing J.J. McCarthy against a defense that will give him tight window throws. Be watching for that if you're a Wolverine fan. I do have to give a pick. That's a big number. Illinois is a good team. They're going to slow it down. They're going to try to run the ball, but the health of, of Chase Brown just worries me. So Michigan and the 18, I'm going with the favorite here. I think Michigan covers at home. They win by more than 18 in preparation for next week.
Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now, you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. All right, next next ball game. Number two, Ohio State at Maryland. So this is similar to what I just said, right? The game's not about Maryland. This is about Ohio State. How badly do you want to play in a legendary game and what will become a legendary game next week? And this one will be at home. And remember, by the way, Ohio State, they are so fired up to play Michigan at home. They haven't played the game against Michigan at home since 2018. Because remember the COVID year got canceled in 2020 and so they went back to the big house last year lost that game in the snow uh and now they're finally going to host the game for the first time since 2018 you think they're not excited for that this spread is 27 and a half maryland has not played great in the back half of the season and again just like the michigan illinois thing this is not really about maryland this is about ohio state there's two things that i'm looking at um surrounding this buckeyes program one is the health of the running back position how healthy are you going into next week. Travion Henderson did not play last week. Mayan Williams went down in the game right before halftime. I thought it looked really serious, and I'm thinking to myself, like, man, this is a precarious situation for Ohio State to be in. Now, it turns out that this injury may not be all that serious for Mayan Williams, which is a huge bright spot. In fact, Ryan Day said, and I quote, I think we can get healthy, and I think we can get healthy in a short order, he said, end quote. If they can get healthy and get Trevion back on the field and get Mayan back on the field, here's why all of a sudden all those injuries and all that adversity was a blessing in disguise because they've been able to establish depth. Think about it. Xavier Johnson, big 70-yard touchdown run last week. Started his career, I believe, as a walk-on. Um, you've got Dallin Hayden comes in as a freshman, has gotten meaningful carries. That's huge. Ryan Day always talks about experience and development and having the opportunities to develop. Well, the frustrations of the health of the running back room has been at least an opportunity that they have taken advantage of by developing depth at that position. So if they are able to get healthy, then now they feel like, okay, we've got three, four backs that we feel confident in that we can give the ball to at any point in a big game, in a championship game, and maybe even down the road in a playoff. 
So that's a good thing, right? And you can say to yourself, like, yeah, and they can continue to fix the run game. There's actually another thing that they need to address, and they need to address it this week against Maryland. They cannot go into the game against Michigan as as dependent on Marvin Harrison as what they have been over the last three weeks. Okay, you heard me talk about this on Monday. And the bottom line is, is that this is a passing game that needs to be more diverse and not based on scheme, but I'm talking about production, more balanced in production. In the last couple of weeks, Emeka Abuka and Julian Fleming have really been nowhere to be found, and they need to increase their level of play and production. From from Fleming's perspective, he's got to catch the ball. Way too many drops against Northwestern, regardless of conditions, and then he had a huge drop on a deep ball last week against Indiana in which his chest hit the ejecto button. That can't happen. Okay, so in the last two weeks, Emeka Abuka, four total catches, 44 total yards in two games. That's not enough. Julian Fleming in the last two weeks, three total catches, 31 total yards. That's not enough. So over the last few weeks, what's happened? Well, they've been looking looking almost exclusively to Marvin Harrison Jr., which, hey, that's a good option because I think he's one of, if not the best non-quarterback in college football right now, but he's accounting for about 49% of their receiving production over the last uh, three weeks. That's too much because you're going to develop a tendency that then Michigan is going to look at and say, well, I know exactly what you're going to do in obvious passing situations, and they're going to manipulate their coverage to only focus on Marvin Harrison Jr. You've got to develop some balance as it relates to production at the wide receiver position. That's what this game is all about, all about. If I'm Ryan Day, I'm looking at Emeka Abuka, I'm looking at Julian Fleming, and I've got to develop some confidence in those two players because I know that's going to be critical to their stretch run against Michigan, maybe in a champ game, and maybe in the college football playoff. Ohio State's favored by 27.5. Yep, give me that. I'm taking it. Ohio State covers uh, even on the road, and I think that they win it by more than 27.5. All right, next game up. Number 10, Utah at number 12, Oregon. This game is is what could have been, and and really, you know, we talked about it on Monday. The Pac-12 just can't have nice things, and and part of the problem is that there's not enough separation between the best teams in the Pac-12 and everybody else. That doesn't mean it's a bad conference. I I think that, you know, people misconstrued what I said this week on on my podcast. I'm not saying that the Pac-12 is bad. I'm just saying that there's not enough separation between their best teams and the rest of the conference in order to go through a nine-game conference schedule in the regular season and a champ game, a 10th game, unscathed. Okay, there's just not enough margin, and and that's hurt them. There's a lot of really good teams. Look at all the teams ranked. They're really good teams. This is the best year of of Pac-12 football that we've seen in a long time, in a long time. Probably since uh, Marcus Mariota. I know Washington went to a playoff after the Mariota team, but that was clearly the best Pac-12 team that we've seen in the playoff era. Oregon's favored by three. Um, this game is is interesting in, in the sense that Oregon just had their home winning streak snapped at 23 games. Do we really think that Oregon's going to have a 23-game win streak and then all of a sudden lose two in a row? Tendencies this year in college football would point to the fact that in games in which you have two top 15 teams facing each other, which you do here, that the home team almost always wins. In fact, there have been 12 games like that so far this year, top 15 teams playing each other. The home team's 10-2. and two. 
So all of that leans in Oregon's favor. Now, the Ducks are banged up. Bo Nix was banged up at the end of the game. Uh, Alex Forsyth, their center, he was bang, banged up. Ryan Walk, their right guard, he was banged up. That doesn't make me feel good because obviously injuries are the great equalizer. Now, when it comes to matchup, you guys always know I look at like, well, where are you strongest and where are they strongest and where are you weakest and where are they weakest? Well, to beat Oregon, it looks like you got to throw the ball. And their two losses, they've given up over 400 yards passing in each of those games. Georgia threw it for 439 yards. Washington last week threw it for 408 yards. So you would think that Utah has got to be able to throw the ball. But the problem is not that they can't because I like Cameron Rising, but they're just more run-oriented, and they have been over the course of the last uh, back half of the season. Now, they do get Kincaid back, I believe, their, their pass-catching tight end. That should help them. And they've got history on their side. They beat this Oregon team twice last year, both late in the season and both handily by a total of 59 points. So there's a lot of stuff going on here, right? You've got the trends of home teams, home Oregon. You've got Oregon banged up, but uh, but Utah is not necessarily strong, right, where you need to be strong in order to beat Oregon. But they're getting healthier with their tight end. There's a lot of things taking me in different directions. Oregon's favored by three. I'm going to go with the home environment. I'm going to go with the home trends. And I'm going to say that Oregon wins this game, and I think that they cover that three number. I think that we're headed towards an Oregon possibly USC Pac-12 championship game. So that's where I sit with that one. All right, next game up. Number four, TCU at Baylor. For me, TCU at Baylor is a chance. It's an opportunity. What is it an opportunity for? Well, I know that these players weren't in the locker room and not on the field on this particular date, but doesn't it feel like this is an opportunity for TCU to avenge what can only be considered the worst loss in their program's history? The most impactful loss in their program's history. October 11th, 2014. What happened that day, Joel? Well, Trevon Boykin, Gary Patterson, and the Horn Frogs faced Baylor. Art Bryles, that Baylor team, two really good teams, best teams in the Big 12 that year. And Baylor beat them 61-58 in a absolute thriller. I can only hope USC-UCLA is as good as that game in 2014. Baylor 61, TCU 58. It's the only game TCU lost. It was on the road. It was at Baylor. They're going back to Baylor. That's why I say this is an avenge game. This is a chance to exercise the demons of that day. Why are those demons so significant, Joel? Why was that the worst loss in TCU's history? It kept them out of the playoff. The first year of the playoff gave us our biggest snub of the playoff era. If I look at all the teams that have been left out over the last eight years, the one team that I'm like, you know, they would have had a shot was TCU in 2014. I still, I, I, I wish we could have seen it. They were playing great at the end of the year. They were third in the final rankings before, well, not the final rankings, and, and the next to last rankings. They went out and they beat, I believe it was, was it Iowa State? And I think they beat them by 50 or more. It was like 55 nothing, and dropped to sixth. It was egregious. 
The Big 12 really screwed them because they tried to walk the tightrope of, of saying that Baylor and TCU were co-champions. They should have picked one and gone with them, but they didn't. And TCU was dropped to sixth. They were left out of the playoff. And we never got to see that great team play in the college football playoff. And we got to, by the way, we had to witness Florida State and Jameis Winston play Oregon that year. And that's ah, that was an egregious snub, worst one of the playoff era. Now let's get to this year. What does this game look like? What does this matchup look like? Well, TCU's defense, didn't they turn it around last week? Boy, they played good. They played so well. They played hard. The defensive line was much better. They gave up three points to Texas's offense and 199 yards. Bijan Robinson, one of the best players in the country, 12 carries, 29 yards. In, in the last five games, their second halves have been really good. Now, they gave up, I believe, two touchdowns to Texas Tech. One of them was semi-garbage time touchdown. So you could really say that in the last five games, in the second half of games, they're giving up about five, six points a game. Like, that's really good. And I think that that will continue to trend in the right direction. They still have an offense, even though they didn't play great on offense last week at Texas, they still have an offense that has a quarterback that's in the Heisman Trophy race, an NFL back in Kendry Miller, and an NFL wide receiver in Quentin Johnston. Like, this is a really good offense that's still in the top 10 in scoring, by the way, in scoring offense. Baylor just got hammered at home 31-3 to last week by Kansas State, and in large part due to the fact they can't get off the field on third down defensively. In Big 12 play... Conference games only, they are last in the Big 12 and third down defense. That is that is not a good recipe when you're about to face a team that's balanced on offense, that has a quarterback that can run it, a running back that's really good and slashing and one of the best in the country. Kansas State held the ball for 37 minutes. TCU's only favored by two and a half. This isn't even kind of like a, do you like this sweater from your from your wife, right? Like we were all... Last week, I told you, like, does Vegas know something that we don't know? And and sure enough, it hits. This one feels same to me. TCU's only favored by two and a half. Granted, they're on the road. But this one's just more blatant. This is when your wife is just like, oh, she's pretty, isn't she? Yes. Yes, she is. TCU in two and a half. Absolutely. Honey, she's a smoke show. I don't know what you want me to tell you, but TCU, I'm taking it. And uh, taking TCU, they're covering the two and a half. She's really attractive. I don't know what you want from me. We've been married for 17 years. So honesty is what you're going to get from me. Well, now that I'm going to be in trouble, uh, let's just move on. So no more games to talk about, but we do have scenarios to talk about. Let's talk about the Big Ten West because that's a mess, right? The Big Ten West is a disaster. Nobody controls their own destiny. Okay, so let's walk through the scenarios. There's basically five teams alive, um, but I want to... And I'm putting them up. So those of you watching the show, you have you have a graphic. Don't worry, audio listeners, I'm about to run through all of this. Purdue, Iowa, Illinois, Minnesota, and Wisconsin all still alive. I want to put Wisconsin on the back burner because basically, like, all hell has to break loose for Wisconsin. So let's just put them aside for a moment and focus on the other four teams. Here are the scenarios. Let's start with Purdue. Purdue's path is win both games coupled with Iowa losing one game. Okay, Purdue has to play Northwestern and Indiana. There's a reason I'm putting them first right there. Iowa, they have to win both of their games, and then they would couple that with an Illinois loss. Iowa plays Minnesota on the road and Nebraska. Illinois 
They have to win both of their games with a Purdue loss. Illinois plays at Michigan and at Northwestern. And Minnesota still has a path. They have to win both of their games, and then they have to have Illinois and Purdue lose a game, and then they are your Big Ten West champions. Again, Wisconsin scenarios are like wild. And I believe I believe there's like a time machine and a DeLorean involved. But I can't say that for sure. If you're looking at the scenarios that I just painted, though, like what's most likely? Well, listen. Illinois has to go to Michigan. Okay, so let's just say Illinois loses that game. Well, and in this scenario, that then puts Iowa in the driver's seat. Then Iowa would control their own destiny with games at Minnesota and against Nebraska. If they were to lose, then Purdue controls their own destiny against Northwestern and at Indiana. So if you're handicapping this, it comes down to how many points can Iowa's defense score against Minnesota? Remember, the over-under in that game is 32. <laughs> 32. That's an incredibly low number. So it comes down to like how many points can Phil Parker's defense score against Minnesota? Do you trust Iowa to win on the road against Minnesota? Ugh. I don't know if I can get myself to that point. So then I'm giving myself this scenario where Illinois probably loses against Michigan on the road, and I don't trust Iowa to beat Minnesota, which then puts Purdue in the driver's seat against by far the easiest remaining schedule of Northwestern and at Indiana. So if I'm handicapping it right now, I think Purdue is – your Big Ten West winner. If I had to bet today, I think Purdue would wind up in Indianapolis playing the winner of Michigan-Ohio State uh, for the right to be called Big Ten champions. We'll see if that plays out. I'm not sure. Your, your next likely one is Iowa. So for me, it's about Purdue and Iowa outside shot of Minnesota. I just don't think Illinois is going to beat Michigan. Because of that remaining schedule, I think that that's really difficult for them. All right, next up. Really quick, I just want to talk about like, I know I just, you know, got myself in trouble, but I do know one thing, like my wife, Sarah, loves desserts, cupcakes specifically. I also love cupcakes. And so I just wanted to tell you that like, I happen to love everything there is to love about cupcakes. I, I love red velvet cupcakes with the cream cheese frosting. That's delicious. I love a good old-fashioned chocolate cupcake and maybe just a little sprinkles on top. I love those new-style cupcakes where it's like the chocolate frosting and then, and then kind of like the, the, the caramel frosting. That's delicious as well. I, I will eat just about any cupcake that you put in front of me. And guess who else will eat any cupcake you put in front of them? You betcha. Looking at you, ACC and SEC, because it's cupcake week. And I'm here for it because I love me some cupcakes. How about that? Austin P at Bama, November 19th. Joke. Louisiana at Florida State. November 19th, joke. Eastern Tennessee State. That's a tough one, Mike Leach. Way to go. I think I'm going to pick the Bulldogs in that one. Mississippi State hosting Eastern Tennessee State. UMass travels to Texas A&M. Hey, good news, A&M fans. You might get a win. How about that? All those millions are worth it. Jimbo, what is he making about $700,000 per game? So what if you extrapolate that out like per win? 
He's he's hovering around like two mil per win. I'd take that job. Uh, UAB at LSU. I don't know, LSU. I don't know if you're going to make it with UAB coming in. But listen, I can't fault you because guess what? I love me some cupcakes as well. Red velvet and cream cheese frosting. That's my favorite. But listen, I'll eat anything. And clearly you will as well. That's going to do it for the Joel Klatt Show today. Um, folks, come back on Monday. I'll have a full recap of this week's games. I'll have a, a, a new outlook for the Big Ten West. Do we get some clarity in the Big Ten West? Are Michigan and Ohio State going to face off as undefeateds on November 26th? I mean, that's, oh, gosh. I mean, we can only hope. Let's see if they can get through the Maryland and Illinois gauntlet here at the end. I'm going to be here in L.A., USC and UCLA. That game is 5 local time, 8 Eastern. Gus and I, along with Allison Williams, will have the call. Uh, and you can find us on so social media, at Joel Klatt Show, and any of the social medias. You can follow me, at Joel Klatt, on Twitter, at Joel underscore Klatt, on Instagram. I may need a place to stay tonight, so if you live in Orange County and have, like, an extra guest room, I may need it. But it is what it is. Is she attractive? Yes, she is. TCU minus two and a half. Take it all day long.